0: Hello and welcome on to another episode here of the ISO Ball podcast with your host Derek Terrio, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. And before we get started here with our you know Western Conference uh, playoff update, I just want to reiterate uh, my deepest sympathies to Jacob Blake and his family. Uh, we know that the NBA boycotted their games uh, on Friday uh, and Thursday. uh, I believe in games are now restarting up here on Saturday after some really in-depth meetings with the players, the owners, the referees, the league in general. And I just want to say that, you know, regardless of, uh, you know, my skin color, where I grew up, all that, uh, all of those uh, mitigating factors, I just want to want you to know that my belief is, is. It comes down to this: the the penalty, regardless of how you view the situation, the penalty for not listening to police cannot be death. That's ultimately where I stand. Yes, you should listen to police officers. Yes, they are, uh, you know, supposed to be here to serve and protect us. Uh, but when you see people dying, specifically black men and women dying, at the hands of police. Uh, sometimes without even, uh, resisting arrest at all, or sometimes without even doing anything that would be perceived, uh, as wrong, uh, or dangerous or anything like that. And when those people are getting, uh, you know, shot and killed, that is obviously completely tragic. Uh, but there are some people out there that, you know, seem to kind of believe that, uh, just because, uh, you are, you know, uh, resisting or, uh, you're not listening to police, that that justifies you being shot and killed uh, because uh, you are not listening to police. And I'm here to tell you that I do not believe that that is the case. I'm here to tell you that I I can't wrap my head around the idea that not listening or resisting arrest, uh, the price to pay for that is death. I don't believe that. I don't don't think that's right. And I just wanted to get my thoughts out there, uh, regardless of the fact that I'm a white male, living uh, living and growing up in canada uh i still don't agree with what's going on in the united states i still support black lives matter and i just figured i needed to get out uh, just that little thought um that uh we we this needs to stop this this needs to stop it's sickening uh and we need change and justice and uh police police reform we need the we need to go out there and vote Uh, we need to make sure that we are taking steps in the right direction and not saying it's going to happen overnight, but, uh, at the same time, uh, I I can't be part of the group that's just silent and and is going to let this happen and, uh, is going to just think that something like this uh, is okay. I'm here to tell you that this is not okay. And, uh, I, I pray, uh, for all those out there in the United States, uh, you know, who have been killed or have been, uh, Assaulted by the police, and I also commend and give my hand out to the athletes who have really taken a stand here and uh, done their best to take on a responsibility that truthfully is not theirs. It is not up to the athletes to uh, put it in their hands to overhaul, uh, you know, social justice and create change, and you know stop the the killings uh, of black men and women that are supposed to be innocent. Uh, and that are innocent, uh, you know, across America. Uh, This is supposed to be in the hands of government and somehow this uh, responsibility has fallen on the athletes and I commend them tremendously for doing that because uh, it takes a very strong group of people to want uh, to change uh, something that has been going on for, you know, 400 plus years and for them to put this in their hands and do their best to make a change more so than any other group of individuals maybe across the world. I commend them for that. And I'll always respect their decision, whether it's to boycott the games, whether it is to play. If they want to compete, I'm in to watch them compete. I love NBA basketball, but NBA basketball does not come before trying to end the killings of innocent black men and women. And so if they feel the need that they do not want to compete in NBA games and want to boycott games and make change to their community, I am also just as much in because as a white male, I will never be able to understand what's going on and I will never be I will I will never tell anybody how they should feel about a situation like this so thanks for just sticking with me there for a minute while I got my got my thoughts out but um at the risk of a terrible transition we still have the western conference to go over the playoff update here and so uh, some of these series are still interesting uh some of these series are you know close to over but let's start and get the one that's, uh, in my opinion, close to over out of the way. And that is the one-seed Los Angeles Lakers versus the eight-seed Portland Trailblazers. So, you know, in this series, outside of game one, where the Lakers', uh, Lakers offense looked pretty bad, I'm not going to lie. You know, LeBron put up a great stat line, but he was not aggressive. He wasn't uh, looking to attack. He was more looking to get others involved and... Um, you know, it resulted in a five for thirty-two shooting night in Game One, and ever since that time, uh, LeBron has really, you know, turned it on in, in kind of in a different in a different light. Here, uh, he's been more aggressive. He's been attacking the rim. He's really taken the series into his own hands and has played tremendously well uh, th- uh, throughout the rest of the series uh, up until Game Four. Uh, which the Lakers, I think, I believe put up like 135 points on the Blazers, which has been just fantastic. Um, and that 5-for-32 shooting night in game one seems to be an anomaly. And, uh, you know, when you have shooters like, you know, Danny Green, KCP, Jr. Smith is getting rotation minutes now. You know, LeBron, AD can shoot it a little bit. Kuzma can shoot it. Um, you know, those guys aren't going to go 5-for-32. Like, that's just not going to happen. Uh, so... Uh, they've been great ever since. Re- realistically, you know, AD has also been good in the series. He's putting up, you know, 30 and tens. It seems nightly, uh, getting into his bag. You know, when he's got guys like, you know, uh, Hassan Whiteside or Wendell Gabriel on him, it's it- it's game over to for Anthony Davis. He's gonna light those guys up. Although when Wendell Gabriel had been doing a solid job, uh, just to, um, you know, just doing his best to give effort on Anthony Davis, but obviously that's gonna be tough. You know, defensively, they're doing a solid job in limiting Damian Lillard's shot opportunities, you know, meeting him at half court, forcing anybody else to score. But Lillard, and that has been uh, largely an effective strategy. You know, he's still scoring, but not at that astronomical rate uh, that he was during the seeding games. And now Lillard uh, seems like he has a a tweak in his knee, and he's going to be out uh, for Game 5. So that is just a massive blow to the Blazers, who are all already down three-one in the series, and you know, on the Blazers' side of things, you know, we tend to forget for the Blazers that they really started playing playoff games uh, when, as soon as they got to the bubble, like those eight seeding games were so important for them just to get into the playoffs, and then that playing game. Uh, with the Grizzlies. And then you can see guys like, you know, Nurkic really starting to wear down as the series gone on. Um, you know, their two big man lineup of Nurkic and Whiteside, you know, for the most part to me, hasn't really worked. Um, you know, is what they attempted to do uh, to provide an answer to the JaVale McGee, Anthony Davis lineup for LA. Uh, but overall, they really haven't found any answers for AD or LeBron as expected. You know, Gary Trent Jr. seems to be doing the best job on LeBron, but Terry Stotts uh, really hasn't gone to that look very much, in my opinion. Um, You know, over yeah, and just in general, like overall, before the series started, you you wonder two things: like how are they going to defend AD and LeBron, and are they going to be able to score enough to keep up with LA? And you know, Carmelo Anthony has seen some time on LeBron James, and Wended Gabriel obviously has seen some time. On Anthony Davis, but when those two guys are the guys that you have to pair to defend two of the top five players in the NBA, you know it's just, it's just not going to go well for you. Um, you know CJ, uh, Carmelo Anthony, Nurkic all struggling relatively offensively, most in part due to a team that was stout defensively all here all year in the Los Angeles Lakers, and now with no Lillard for Game Five, uh, this series seems to be uh, a wrap for the Portland Trailblazers, and it looks like the Lakers will be moving on uh, to the next round as expected. Uh, So that pretty much wraps up that series. There's not really much to speak about in that one. All right, let's move on to the next one here. The Los Angeles Clippers, the two-seed Clippers versus the seven-seed Dallas Mavericks. Now, this has really become a series. This is kind of interesting here. Uh, Before we continue, Porzingis' meniscus tear in his knee will not be available for games six and seven if necessary. Um... But let's start with the Clippers here. Um, You know, the story of the series has really been, you know, uh, Luka Doncic. But on the Clippers' side, Paul George has struggled mightily for the first four games of the series. Now, he did get it going in Game 5 with uh, 35 points. uh, Really looked like himself. And, uh, and, you know, he talked about, you know, how he was uh, facing anxiety and depression in the bubble. Where he couldn't escape um, all the negative factors going on. Like, you know, he turns on the TV you know they're talking about Paul George struggling. He turns on his phone. Social media is blowing up with Paul George and the pandemic p jokes and all that sort of stuff. And he just he couldn't seem to get away from basketball because you know obviously you're stuck, you know, in this bubble. And you know credit to him for snapping out of it. You know Paul George is still an elite player. We don't we don't think that this is uh, going to continue. We, we, I I trust his mental toughness. I trust his ability to snap out of this slump. And you know game uh, game five was a good a good sign of that. Um, but the fact that the Clippers are up 3-2 with Paul George playing pretty much awful the whole series. And it took a crazy Lucas step back three in game four, you know, from 28 feet over Reggie Jackson to uh, to get to that, uh, you know, 3-2 instead of, you know, being up, you know, really they would have won the series at this point for a 4-1 uh, without that Lucas step back. And, you know, the Clippers are in a pretty good spot, especially with no Porzingis anymore either. Um... In general, the Clippers have experimented with guys guarding Luka Doncic as the series gone on, uh, but, uh, you know, they've really stopped messing around uh, with their little switching system and really have kept, you know, Paul George or Kawhi on him as much as possible, and less of Marcus Morris, you know, less Reggie Jackson. Uh, both Morris and Jackson really don't stand a chance against Luka, you know, one-on-one. Same goes for Harrell, same goes for Zubac. Uh, you know, you've got Paul George and... Uh, Kawhi Leonard, two of the premier uh, perimeter defenders uh, in the entire world. You might as well use them. Uh, uh, to me, in general, it seems like Avicii Zubac, you know, in the game, really does a better uh, job contesting uh, Luka Doncic at the rim as opposed to Harold does. It seems when you know Doncic gets in there, uh, he really has a tougher time finishing around the rim. With his you know, deceleration moves and stuff uh, around Zubac than he does Harrell. That's just my opinion. I'm not exactly sure why that is. Maybe it's the length. Maybe it's uh, uh, the strength of uh, Zubac. Maybe it's p- his positioning. I'm not exactly sure. But it seems like Doncic has more trouble finishing around Zubac than he does Harrell in there. Uh, the Clippers uh, went to uh, a strategy of trapping Luka um, a little bit. That, that has uh, had some success. Uh, but again, I think they're more content to... Just keep George or Leonard on him one on one and uh, trust the integrity of their defense. Uh, The Clippers have also been missing Pat Beverly in this series. Uh, He's a steady spot up shooter, uh, stout defensively, you know, and he would take a lot of those away, a lot of those minutes uh, that are currently being provided by uh, limited defenders, whether it be Reggie Jackson uh, or Lou Williams. Now, Lou Williams has been fantastic in this series, so I'm more looking at Reggie Jackson when I say taking away, uh, or Pat Beverly taking away his minutes. Uh, but you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that the Mavericks are looking to put, uh, Reggie Jackson and Lou Williams in every pick and roll down the floor when they're out there, uh, with Doncic and, you know, the, the Clippers are opting for that, you know, that hedge and recover type strategy where the, uh, the guard, whether it be Williams or Jackson will show, uh, you know, as much as they can and then sprint back to their man on the perimeter to make sure that, you know, there's no switch that occurs, And and that overall uh, has been the strategy for them. But it doesn't look like they're going to get Pat Beverly back in this series. You know, they're up 3-2 at the moment. And uh, I think they're going to be content just to play this out and uh, try and get the the win in this series. Uh, From Dallas' perspective, obviously Luka Doncic, you know, has been the story. He has been absolutely fantastic. But, you know, guys like Tim Hardaway Jr., Seth Curry, Trey Burke, uh, even some Boban Majarnovic all have been providing some secondary scoring. For this Mavericks team, and really keeping them, you know, afloat, uh, which has been, uh, you know, huge. Uh, as as Doncic has had a number of good games, With their supporting cast in the form of those guys has so really been fantastic as well. Um, you know. In terms of Tim Hardaway Jr., he's knocking down spot-up threes. Seth Curry's driving to Seth Curry and Trey Burke both driving to the rim uh, as guys who are you know touted as being you know shooters uh, off the dribble and uh, from uh, on spot-up situations. Those two guys are attacking the rim, uh, you know especially Trey Burke. Like Trey Burke has come out of nowhere, which is insane. In Game Four, he had this crazy crossover uh, on this right-to-left cross on Kawhi Leonard and finished around the rim. I was just shocked. I was, I was completely shocked. I had I, I, I forgot you know, that Trey Burke could be this type of player. Like, I didn't think he, he had this finishing around the rim type of package that he has, but, you know, uh, shame on me. He, he's showing me something, and, and kudos to him as well. Uh, you know, Boban Marjanovic, you know, when they, they'll they play pick and roll and they'll switch, um, they'll, uh, Doncic will throw the ball into Marjanovic, and he's just got that, you know, little left shoulder, reach the ball out, one-handed little hook shot, uh, over the top of the smaller defender and that just you just seem you don't seem to be able to stop that uh, For whatever reason and you know, he's really earning his minutes on the floor as well uh, Porzingis has been out for about two and a half games uh, and he's going to be out for the rest of the series uh, as I mentioned um, But overall, I think their ability uh, being the Mavericks here to be able to you know, keep it afloat uh, with Doncic or uh, on or off the floor through some of those guys, you know hard Curry, Trey Burke, and Marjanovic has really been uh, a revelation for them. They uh, have really stayed in this series based on the fact that those guys are playing very well. Uh, you know, Maxi Kleba uh, has been struggling offensively, but he's been the main primary guy on Kawhi Leonard, and you know he's relatively ineffective as a guy uh, guarding Kawhi Leonard. He that, that shouldn't he shouldn't have to be the guy guarding Kawhi Leonard. Um, that's uh, that's kind of tough for him. Uh, Kawhi in general in this series. I didn't mention in the first part uh, for the Clippers, but he's just been fantastic. He's getting to his spots, getting to the free throw line. That mid range is just deadly uh, for Kawhi. And, you know, largely a lot of it is coming, you know, on Maxi Kaliba and any other defender that wants to take him on. And they went to an adjustment in game four uh, a little bit there where they were actually doubling Kawhi on his post ups uh, and forcing Kawhi to be a passer. They forced a few turnovers out of that. That was uh, that. That was a nice little adjustment, but overall, Kawhi has been dominant, you know, in the series. And you know, Doncic, in general, his strategy has really been he's attacked the switching defense well, uh, usually by you know getting the weaker defender on getting the weaker defender on him and going to work. Uh, that usually comes more switching. Usually comes with um, Montrezl Harrell on the floor for the, for the Clippers, who feel like they can switch just about everything one through five, and then uh, with. If each is Zubac on the floor, they pretty much think they can switch everything one through four. Uh, so that, what that means is that Doncic will be able to get into his nice pick and roll, pick and pop game. Uh, as they don't want to switch Doncic, or sorry, switch Zubac onto Doncic. So he's been able to get uh, into his pick and roll, into his pick and roll bag, really get downhill uh, at the rim. We know the way Doncic operates, right? He's going to put you uh, in jail in the pick and roll hit the guy on his back, and make decisions from there. He's also uh, willing to attack the big downhill if he sees no uh, no passing option. But he's also got the ability to make those swing passes to the corner, those pocket passes, uh, lo- uh, lobs to uh, uh, to his players if need be. And he's also got that finishing package in the paint where he's got this big upper body. He'll put his shoulder in you. Uh, Doncic's not necessarily a blow-by type of player but he is a guy that is extremely good at euro steps deceleration moves where he puts his shoulder in you he bumps you off one or two feet and he's under control right around the basket two or three feet away and hits this little bank shot in the lane Um, he's very good at that uh, and it's it's almost unstoppable when he gets down there because of that big size and that uh, ability to decelerate at the proper times so credit to Doncic in this series you know, 21-year-old, first playoff series. He is really lighting it up and has been, uh, you know, just absolutely fantastic for this Dallas Mavericks team. Now, I do think the Clippers will end up winning the series. There's only just so much you can do. Um, there's no answer for Kawhi Leonard. Uh, PG has shown that he is going to get it going. And, you know, defensively, when they want to lock in, the Clippers are a much better team um, than the Dallas Mavericks. So I, I still, I'm going to take the Clippers in six. Oh, yeah, by the way, my prediction for the – Uh, Los Angeles-Portland series was Lakers in 6. That looks like it's going to be Lakers in 5. My prediction for the Clippers series was Clippers in 6, and I'm going to stick with that. I think that's going to be the only one that I actually get on the dot correct um, in terms of uh, picking not only the winner but in how many games. So I'm going to stick with the Clippers in 6 and see how that goes uh, as well. All right, moving on to another somewhat interesting series. I like this series a lot, actually. Um, the The 3-seed Denver Nuggets versus the 6-seed Utah Jazz. My prediction was the Nuggets will win in 7, and right now the Jazz are up 3-2. Uh, from the Jazz perspective, Donovan Mitchell, man. Donovan Mitchell, my goodness. He has clearly taken the leap after... You know, struggling against Houston for two straight years in the playoffs. Mitchell has just torched this Denver defense and its individual defenders. You know, he's seeing the floor real well, you know, in pick and roll. He's finding lobster go bear. He's hitting extra passes to shooters, pulling up from three when Jokic is too far back in the drop coverage. He's hitting everything right now. He can't seem to miss a shot from anywhere on the floor. just seems everything he puts up is just hitting nothing but net. Uh, He's had two 50-point games in this series, one coming uh, from 57 uh, in a loss in overtime in Game 1, and the other time here where he had 52, I believe, uh, in a win. Um, And, you know, really, realistically, if we want to talk about it, I don't think Donovan Mitchell has played a bad game uh, this whole series uh, through five games. He really has been the story for this Jazz team. Uh, on the other, no, sorry, not on the other end. Uh, in addition to Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley has returned after the birth of his child, and he seems like he hasn't missed a step either. Uh, Rudy Gobert is playing fantastic on both ends. Uh, he, Gobert is setting really good screens, allowing Mitchell to see the floor when he comes off them uh, in the pick and roll, and uh, he's now a force. Not now, he's always been a force defensively at the rim, and that has continued. Uh, even Jordan Clarkson has given them some scoring punch one-on-one. Joe Ingles seems to be effective in the game in a positive manner, even when he's not scoring the ball. So my initial thought in this series is that when, like before it started, like I thought that this series was going to be decided based on, you know, how many threes can you get from guys like Royce O'Neill, you know, Jordan Clarkson, uh, Jawan Morgan, Georges Niang, all these role players. And... What really has what really has been the case is it's more about the stars. Well, not uh, and in some cases like the the premier players that have been giving them the threes. The guys like the Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell's, um, your Mike Conley's. These guys are knocking down threes at a very high clip, and they have you know just done just adequately to where these other uh, support players well, they they didn't need much from them, other than to just to play adequately, and they have done that. So. That's really what has been driving uh, the Jazz in this series. And moving over to Denver, you know, the story for Denver has to be just their defense through most of the series. It has just been awful. Just awful. Too many easy buckets all over the floor. Jokic is playing too far in the drop. Mitchell is putting buckets on his head. There's dunks at the rim. There's easy lobs. Threes with nobody in the area. Mid-rangers that are just too open. It just seems like they're not even taking away anything at times. And, you know, even their individual defenders, Millsap and Jokic, they just look like they're stuck in cement trying to guard guys on the perimeter. You know, Michael Porter Jr. and Jokic as a combo in the pick and roll have been an absolute disaster. Um, so that's really been their problem and why they've lost three games in the series. Now, the on the positive side, Jamal Murray. Oh, boy. Jamal Murray, Kitchener, Ontario, native, hometown boy, Has just been unbelievable in this series. He's been the best player for the Nuggets to me, without a doubt, Uh, specifically in games one, four, and five. You know, he had 36 in game one, uh, closing out that game in the fourth quarter in overtime uh, for the win. You know, game four, where he also had, you know, 50 points, you know, came at a loss, but still held that Nuggets team together. And then in game five, which was possibly the best game of his career, in my opinion, he had. 42 points was cooking just about everyone that like he's really showing his ability to shoot from deep his ability to make the correct play when needed on mostly drive and kick situations. You know, he's and his ability to take care of the ball, he had 92 points in games 4 and 5 to just zero turnovers. Not a single turnover for Jamal Murray, which is, you know, just incredible. N- not losing his handle, not throwing the ball away. Just when the ball is in his hands, you can trust that it's going to be protected. And a lot of the time, you can trust that he's going to make the right play with it. Uh, whether it's a bucket or making the right pass. And that's that's what you want from your point guard. That's what you want from a point guard who is due for a max extension next year. And he's really looking like that max extension is going to be worth it for a guy like Jamal Murray. You know, he's getting to his spots in the mid-range. He's dropping threes in every situation. You know, whether it's off handoffs. Whether it's, you know, pull-up, spot-up, coming off screens. And most impressively, he's finishing at the rim, and a lot of these finishes, you know, are around Gobert of all people. Like, I know we see that that 360 layup that, you know, made all the highlights and stuff, and that's one of them. But he's also, you know, extended finishes with the left. Uh, you know, being able to go up and unders. Like, uh, when he gets, you know, sometimes he'll snake the screen, fake that uh, baseline step back with some good footwork uh, with the right-left plant. On the, on the baseline and then, you know, not pick up his dribble and continue under the baseline and then go up and under and use the rim as protection for a finish. He is really uh, an underrated finisher, you know, in this series. And maybe I've been sleeping on him as a finisher throughout his whole career. But, man, he can finish around the rim. And uh, doing it around guys like Gobert is just super impressive. So kudos to Jamal Murray. He's been just fantastic and uh, just a treat to watch uh, this whole series. You know, Jokic has also had you know a nice series, but just offensively. Um, but just given how much he's given back uh, on the other end, it's really tough to gauge how much of uh, how much positive he's actually giving to the Nuggets at this at this point. You know, it's definitely not a negative on the court. Obviously, you Jokic is a positive on the court, but it just he's given up so much defensively. He's given up so much defensively at the rim, in pick and roll, uh, off one on one when he has to when he switched onto guards. It's it's, it's it's bad. It's bad for Jokic defensively right now. And although he's been still very, very, very good uh, offensively, uh, it's tough to gauge uh, just the uh, the amount of positive impact he's having on the court out there for the Nuggets. And, you know, the Denver Nuggets went to a lineup change where they, uh, they put Michael Porter and Torrey Craig on the bench. Uh, and basically they brought in Monte Morris and Jeremy Grant. And, you know, it made a bit of a difference defensively in Game 5. They were definitely better. But overall, still some glaring issues for the Nuggets on that end. Uh, the series right now is 3-2 for the Utah Jazz. I picked Nuggets in 7. i I'm st- nah. I can't pick Nuggets in 7. I'm going to pick the Jazz to win the series. Um, I'm going to pick uh, the Utah Jazz to win this series. But I don't know it'll, if it will be 6 or 7. But I can't put any faith in Denver's defense right now. It's just so bad. It's so bad, it's so atrocious as much as I love Jamal Murray, the the jazz have the counter in Donovan Mitchell and I just I, I can't put any faith in their defense right now so I'm gonna pick the jazz uh, to win this series whether it be in six and seven or six or seven I'm not sure, but I'm picking the jazz to win. All right, I saved what I believe is the best for last. this has been my favorite series to watch of all the series of all the series. this has been my favorite. Uh, Houston, the 4 seed versus OKC, the 5 seed. My prediction was Rockets in 7 games, and right now the series is tied 2-2. And it's been a tale of two halves for the series, between Game 1 and Game 2 for the, uh, for the Rockets, and then Game 3 and Game 4 for the Thunder. So let's start with the Rockets, okay? So we know what the Rockets want to do on offense, right? They play through Harden, and first of all, no Westbrook so far through 4 games, but he will be back for Game 5 then that, can, uh, that will also make a difference here for Houston and for the way OKC decides to defend Houston. So we know the Rockets, they play through harden. they want to get up as many threes as possible, and they've done that through the first two games in this series, and they've made most of them. Jeff Green has come out of absolutely nowhere to make all of these shots, and I uh, I just don't know what, what what's happening. Jeff Green is making shots from everywhere. P.J. Tucker is knocking down shots. But they're also getting a balance in their drive game Through the first two games of this series as well, from guys like Austin Rivers, from guys like Eric Gordon, in the half court and in transition, Uh, this is opening up. You know, finishes either at the rim with no resistance or open threes uh, when the low man decides to rotate for OKC, and it's causing it was it was causing them. I'll say a lot of problems defensively for the Thunder, based on the Rockets. You know, hitting threes and getting in the mix of that drive game to the rim from guys like Harden, Rivers, and Gordon. And so on the Rockets side defensively, you know, it's the, it's the best I've seen them play all year. In in the first two games of the series. Their switching defense is proving to be very effective. They're folk, they're forcing OKC into isolation matchups in which they end up settling for jumpers and bad matchups. Like Houston is going to live with Danilo Gallinari posting up Eric Gordon from 18 feet and shooting a mid-range over the top of him. Like that's a win for Houston. They aren't OKC cannot sustain that type of offense. Um, and, and it's just, it's it's real tough for them. Uh, so, in the last two games, though, and this is what we'll, so where we're going to... Actually, you know what? I'll, I'll come back to the point. Let's, let's finish up for the first two games here. Switching over to OKC. Their offense in the first two games was sluggish they've been if it's been tough time it's been a tough time finding buckets that aren't isolation possessions in the first two games for the thunder and they really aren't making the Houston defense work as they should be because when that you can picture it when that isolation that one-on-one goes and happens all the all four rockets defenders just stay at home we're not going to move we're going to trust the guy guarding uh, the guy on the switch to do his best to contest and force a, a long two uh, because another problem is the okc thunder aren't beating their man one-on-one off the dribble they're settling for a lot of mid-range looks and that has also become a problem because now you're not forcing the houston defense to get into rotation forcing them to provide help they can just stay at home and conserve all their energy for playing on offense um and you know the way you beat a switching system like the uh the rockets one that they have where you know they're just switching everything one through five anything you want, any action you want to run, we switch off ball, on ball, pick and roll, whatever you want, we're switching. The way you beat that is, uh, for quick duckins, you know, you know, you slip uh, quick little duckins from your center or from a big man, uh, you slip screens, you know, when you're sending off ball or on ball screens, you slip them and just kind of go straight to the rim and look for the pass. Uh, you set flare screens, uh, so when the uh, the Rockets defenders are too far in the paint, you set a little flare screen, you get the ball over the top, and you've got a wide open three. And you look up, you look for pull-up threes before the switch actually occurs, and even bigger than that is you beat your man one-on-one. You just straight up say, you can't guard me, I am going to the rim. I'm going to the rim, and you cannot guard me one-on-one. That's the way you beat a switching defense. That's the way you beat a switching defense, and... Overall, OKC, you know, they did a lot of those, uh, you know, little flare screens, slip screens, duckins. They did some of that in the first two games, um, but that can't be everything. And right now, OKC, uh, for the first two games, OKC, they need to, they needed to do a better job beating one on uh, their man, one on one, one on one, and forcing rotations. Everything is too easy and contained for the Rockets in the first two games, and. I want to just make sure I'm staying on the first two games here. Um, Okay, cool. So now let's move into the OKC defense. You know, it's really tough to play defense when you're OKC, when you're having trouble keeping players in front of you on the other end. So this whole series to me is about being able to keep your man in front of you or beat your man in front of you one-on-one. And the Rockets had been doing it for the first two games and the Thunder just had it. Thunder just had not been able to keep their guy one-on-one. And so now here's the problem. When you blow by your defender as a Rockets player and you've already seen four or five three go threes go down if you're the Thunder. Now if you're the guy helping at the rim, now you've got to pick your poison. Right? Okay, the the Rockets player has beat me one-on-one. Ha, what do I do now? I've gotta send help. Now I've got to help on the drive at the rim and give up a wide open three and trust my defense on the back end. But that's easier said than done when you've already seen how many threes go down on your head over the course of a game. So a guy like Steven Adams was plagued by this in the first two games where he's he's kind of in no man's lane. He's not sure whether to help at the rim or make sure that the corner three, he's in position to contest a corner three. And that was a real problem for the OKC defense in the first two games. Um, Okay. Let's move over to games three and four because it's a totally different story now, right? Now, the OKC offense has become more about beating their man one-on-one from guys like Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Dennis Schroeder, all three of these guys, even Danilo Gallinari to a sense, all three of these guys are now beating their man one-on-one. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a blow-by and go and, and get to the rim, but... In Chris Paul's case, let me get to shooting more of those mid-rangeers. You know, he was shooting about four or five, I think, in uh, in the first two games. He shot he's shot in about eight or nine now, in in games three and four. That's his bread and butter. That's where he needs to get to. He's getting to his spots and making those mid-range shots over the top. Dennis Schroeder, maybe the quickest first step in the entire NBA now is get doing a better job blowing by his, uh, uh, Jeff Green, a PJ Tucker, and a Harden who has been attacked in pick and roll and in isolation in games 3 and 4. A great adjustment by the Thunder to be able to go at the weakest defender every time down the floor. I'm surprised they didn't do it in game 1 and 2, to be honest. And uh, Shea Gildas-Alexander, who again, not necessarily a guy that's going to blow by you, but kind of similar to the way Doncic finishes, uh, he'll get to his spots into, you know, that... Anywhere between eight to eight feet to the rim, and he's got the little floater game, the little touch game. He's Shea Gilders Alexander, a great finisher around the rim, and he's starting to utilize that more often. Uh, You know, Gallo is picking his spots as well. Yes, he's got those, still has those, uh, you know, 18-footer jumpers going. But you know what? He's knocking them down, and you know, even if you're going to live with that as a Houston offense, those are going to add up if you're going to start mixing in some of these other, uh, you know, great. you know, great types of offense that we discuss, uh, in terms of blowing by your man and etc. And they're still getting some of those little sl- slip screens. They're still se- getting, uh, you know, some of those duck-ins and whatnot. So the OKC offense has really adjusted in three and four, uh, and got the win in those last two games, largely in part, uh, due to the adjustments on offense that they made and being able to beat their man one-on-one has been a big part of that. Now, defensively for the OKC defense, um, it, Really, the change has been, they got Lou Dort back. They got Lou Dort. He has been fantastic doing a great job, you know, on Harden. You know, his Lou Dort's ability to move his feet on the perimeter, stay in front of James Harden on his drives, and also bother the step back has been incredible. He's also doing a fantastic job navigating through screens. He has a... He has this uncanny ability to know uh, you know, when I'm going to go under the screen and beat James to his spot, when I need to go over the screen and get skinny around it and make sure I stay in front. Um, and I'll, I'll put some blame on Jeff Green as well. I, I'm watching some of the screens Jeff Green is setting. He's just not making contact or anything close to contact to the screen. So it's making Lou Dort's job uh, an, an impossible job, it seems, that trying to guard James Harden one-on-one for a whole series He's, he's not making it uh, Lou Dort's job any harder by not making contact on the screens, talking about Jeff Green there. So, you know whether it's uh, you know navigating screens, uh, getting uh, just bothering Harden in general on a step back, on his drives, you can't go by Lou Dort. Like Harden is trying to drive by Lou Dort and he can't. His hands are up and in great position. He he's not fouling either. Uh, it's it's really incredible. I've never seen anybody guard. James Harden one-on-one as well as I've seen Lou Dort do it in this series. Um, So that's been incredible. You know, OKC defensively also forcing more turnovers in game three and four. And, uh, you know, it just seems in general like Houston shots are just a little bit more, a little bit tougher. You know, OKC just seems to be, you know, just there, just a little bit more. They just seem to be just a little bit more difficult, you know, from, it's hard to explain, but... They just don't seem to be as wide open in terms of Houston's shots uh, from three and, and at the rim. So that's what I've noticed uh, uh, on offense for the Houston, you know, if on defense for the Houston Rockets, they're not keeping their man in front anymore. It's just simple as that because now it's James Harden that's got to keep his man in front because they're hunting him down uh, on possession after possession. And and Chris Paul has beaten him, uh, has blown by him uh, a, few, a few times and gotten into the mid-range where Harden, uh, can't contest his shot. You know we've got uh, we've already we and we've already talked about it right. Keeping Dennis Schroeder in front with his first step is impossible. Shea's a great finisher around the rim. When Danilo Gall- Gallinari uh, gets it going, he's a tough guy to stop with his shooting ability. So these guys right now are really playing a lot better on offense, based on the fact to me that they're able to beat their man one on one, and it's forcing a lot better offense for the OKC Thunder. So this series is a great one. I am a big fan of this series. It's tied two-two right now. Uh, I'm recording this on Saturday uh, to 10:26 uh, as uh, as we speak. 10:26 a.m. the the Rockets play later today, and we'll see what happens as they get Westbrook back in Game Five. I'm interested to see now that Westbrook is back, are the Thunder going to uh, you know double James Harden and make uh, you know Westbrook play the four-on-three game? And because you know we um, we understand that you know, Westbrook is the liability shooter and they're going to leave him open as many times as possible. So are the Thunder uh, going to choose to double James Harden and get the ball out of his hands and you know make anybody else but Harden beat them? Uh, we've seen teams uh, do that in the past. Notably the Toronto Raptors uh, uh, employed that strategy. But also uh, some of these teams that have tried that strategy uh, don't necessarily have a Lou Dort to be able to stick on Harden one-on-one and play him all game long, uh, and and defend him as well as they have. So, what we'll, I'd be interested to see if the strategy defensively changes for the OKC defense uh, based on the fact that Westbrook is back, because Westbrook does make a positive impact uh, for the Rockets uh, Rockets offense generally. Now, defensively, is Westbrook a guy that you're going to go at? Much like Harden, is Westbrook going? Uh, you know, is Westbrook going to be able to? Uh, Defend the switches one-on-one these are some questions I have about him defensively offensively we know his ability to attack the rim and uh, put pressure on the defense in transition has been really really good um, you know for his whole career so uh, that we don't really question uh, at all it's more the shooting it's more about uh, the shooting and the uh, the defense on and off the ball we'll see uh, how that happens for the Houston Rockets getting him back so uh, yeah, I picked Rockets in seven in this series, by the way, and uh, I think I'm going to stick with that prediction. I think I think the Rockets eventually will make enough threes uh, because if they do make enough threes uh, and they just go uh, completely on fire, uh, then there's nothing any team can do about that, let alone the Thunder. So I'm going to pick the Rockets in seven still, uh, and I'll stick with that prediction. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for listening to everybody. That was the Western Conference. Uh, you know, NBA, like, uh, I guess, update, if you will. Uh, we'll start getting into more uh, detail in this series um, once the series start winding down, when we only have two in each conference and then one in each conference and then the only one in the finals. Uh, again, a lot of these series, tough for me to watch as in-depthly as I like because, some of these are during the day where I'm at work, or you know at 4 p.m. Eastern when I'm at the gym. So I just don't have time to watch all of these as in depthly as I like. But as there's less series come in the game and they start, uh, you know, moving more towards you know 6:30 starts and 9 p.m. starts, that's when I'll start be uh, start being able to watch them more closely and give more in depth analysis as well. So again, thanks so much for listening. Uh, prayers go out to the black community in the United States to jacob uh, blake and his family uh i pray that we stop hurting killing innocent black men and women and uh really aim for social justice uh changes to be happening in the united states in canada and around the world it needs to be done this this uh brutalizing of black men and women needs to stop police brutality needs to stop And uh, I just want to reiterate my support again, once again, for the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, just hope that everyone is staying as safe as they can uh, and safe as possible out there in the United States. Please stay safe and uh, please stand up for the rights of black men and women. Thanks so much and we'll talk again soon.